Welcome to this week's Lawn Sport Podcast. In this podcast, Emma Bagas, Chief Executive at the Sport and Recreation Alliance, and Lee Thompson, Policy Manager at the Sport and Recreation Alliance, speak to Lawn Sport CEO Sean Cottrell about the challenges facing the sports betting context, both in the UK and internationally, and the latest integrity-related policies. Emma and Lee also provide insight into the purpose of the UK Sports Betting Group, its revised code of practice, and the hurdles faced when liaisoning with various stakeholders, as well as the crucial role that fostering good governance plays in building trust with those stakeholders. I hope you enjoy the show. I'm here in the offices of the Sport and Recreation Alliance, a body which we'll come on to uh, discuss in a second whatever they do. I'm joined by Emma Boggis, the CEO of the Sport and Recreation Alliance, and their policy manager, Lee Thompson, who's also written a few articles for us in the past. To start off with, guys, could you explain, starting with Emma, what your role is and what the role of the Sport and Recreation Alliance is? Yeah, so as chief exec, I guess I'm responsible for everything we do, um, and our job is to be a, a representative body of uh, sports organisations in this country so we're a membership organisation we've got 320 members uh, who represent all of the national governing bodies of sport and other representative organisations so everyone from the very biggest to the very smallest uh, real breadth of variety across the main sports the professional sports the Olympic and Paralympic sports very much into outdoor recreation water sports movement and dance a real plethora um, really demonstrating the breadth of the the, the sector. Um, I guess I'm talking to you today particularly in an additional role as chair of the sports betting group and we'll come on to talk about that in a moment. Uh, yeah so I'm Lee Thompson, I'm the policy, policy manager at the Sport and Recreation Alliance so I lead on our policy work across a number of areas principally sports betting integrity uh, but I also lead our work on tax policy, uh, European policy which has become a lot more interesting since the Brexit vote um, and also other areas like broadcasting and secondary ticketing so quite a wide range but um, again as Emma said, we're here to talk about betting integrity, so that's one of my key roles. So just to explain to people listening, because this is something that, that I think that often goes unrecognised, is that you guys are the guys essentially who are doing a lot of the work in the background. You're obviously you're public facing as well. We do a lot of the work in the background, liaising with the various stakeholders, whether it be government, um, other public bodies and the governing bodies, um, to try and bring some coherent um, policies and and and... Uh, agreement really about how to move things forward for the development of sport and recreation yeah yeah we use three words really which describe I think what we do which are lead champion and enable so lead is all about providing some thought leadership for the sector trying to get it to think about some of the things that it wants to provide some a link between government and policymakers absolutely making sure that we're able to influence so for example yesterday I was giving evidence to a select committee we respond to public consultations we helped uh, DCMS in the um, consultation around when they were developing the government new sports strategy um, so lots of kind of regular engagement with policymakers across a whole breadth of different government departments I guess particularly in light of the government's new sports strategy much broader um, but we also champion the good things our members are doing uh, in, in the evidence session yesterday I was talking about some of the great things our members do and how that was relevant to the topic we were talking about so and then we provide education and training to yeah, help them be say, better and you, and you do a number of events as well that are well worth attending and I have to say, uh, for disclosure, that one of the reasons that we started to shape our content in the way we did was from one of your old governance managers, Joy Tot- Totman, who is um, who got in contact with me and said, "Look, can you do some specific content around these issues?" And it, 
just led to um, an expansion of our content to focus on some of these, these important issues. So, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of great work that you guys are doing. So one of the great pieces of work that you're involved with um, which is not only interesting from a domestic perspective, but I think and hopefully we'll come on to talk about this where it fits into the international landscape, um, is the sports betting group of which, I mean, you said you're, thank you for remembering to say that you're the chair of that group. Um, you've recently launched a new website and you've got a, an updated code of practice. Can you say that what, was the, what started the formation of the group, or what was the catalyst for that, and then what was the purpose of the new website and why this updated code of practice? Yeah, certainly. So the sports betting group was uh, created as an outcome of the Parry report in 2010, which looked at uh, a number of issues around sports betting and made some recommendations for the future. And one of them was to create um, a point where the sector could come together and be providing some leadership to the rest of the sports sector around um, betting integrity issues. So that's really was the genesis for creating the sports betting group. Um, it uh, has developed and grown over time. Um, it's still relatively small, uh, 13 members currently. Uh, and these are the sports that probably historically have had the greatest um, exposure to betting, those that you know, you'll be familiar with in terms of the, you know where betting is very much so, things like the... Um, uh, horse racing, snooker, football, rugby, both codes. And um, it's really about bringing a bit of a sector leadership. So sharing good practice, um, supporting each other, and, and increasingly, and perhaps we'll come on to talk about widening that beyond the kind of the, the original founding members. Um, one of the things that the uh, group has done is developed a code of good practice, which is really a sort of so it's a bit like an aid memoir really, to help sports think about these issues because sports betting and sports integrity it can be perhaps particularly to a smaller sport quite a daunting topic and actually they quite might kind of might think well I need no I need to do something but I'm not really sure what so um, the code of practice is very much aimed at easy to interpret easy to apply proportionate you won't have to do everything at once you you know you don't have to sign that you've suddenly taking on doing 25 actions by next Wednesday you know this is about the sort of things that you need to be thinking about and that was first created when the group was set up and what we've done most recently is refresh that really to look a little bit about the you know we live in a changing world lots is changing around us the nature of sports betting has changed hugely in even in the period of six years since the group was started so the review of the code was really to address that and make sure it was still fit for purpose and up for date up to date and then the website was really also recognising, we had a website before, but it, to be frank, it wasn't the most easy to access. Um, and we know that's why people want to find information. It's where it's a useful resource, but if we want people to access it, it's got to be easy to read and all those sort of things. So, And, and just to be clear, though, the, the individuals who are involved in that group, and I think this is something, again, just uh, for, for the people listening, um, can you just say the type of roles... Um, from the bodies, I think that's quite important. Yeah, so it would be mixed really, but most of the, certainly the larger sports that have a kind of traditional betting sort of history, I guess you might say, often have a head of integ integrity, it may be somebody in the legal department, um, but it's probably the, the point of contact within the organisation that looks after betting and betting integrity. In some of the bigger sports that may just be a single role and they may be running an integrity unit, or they might be an analyst looking at that. In some of the smaller sports, we probably find it's somebody who's got, you know, ten things in their job description, of which betting is just one. Uh, but they, they, they are the link into that sport and that department. Yeah, so I think it's clear to make it, 
to, 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 I thought it was worth making the point that those people have, uh, you know, a large portion of the people involved have had some experience though. They're, they're on the ground, they're doing it day to day and it's been some time and they've seen things that have occurred, so whether it's the spot fixing cases in in cricket or whether it's the snooker cases or some of the stuff that's going on in football they've, they've gone through it so they, they, they know what works or, or what's been successful and what's been less successful Yeah, I think that's a really uh, interesting point you make because I think that sort of wealth of expertise that's been developed over many years is, is vital now when we're talking to sports who perhaps are newer to this we can say these people have you know day to day experience of operating integrity regimes they know which what works and what doesn't work uh, and they can help you develop your policies and procedures and, and sort of help you avoid the pitfalls that maybe they've fallen into as they've developed their, their career. So it's, and I think it's yeah, I think it's also worth recognising that these those sports they're not they're not there thinking we've got this sorted, we know how it's done. I mean just a, every meeting, even among some of the larger sports, there's often a what do you do about this? So we had one example recently where one of the sports was asking what the other sports approach was to match officials' um, ability to access mobile phones around match, you know, before, during and after a match. What rules do you have? How do you enforce it? Uh, and that was one of the larger sports, but they're still interested in what others are doing and learning from other people's experience. So well, I think that's one of the things that's often overlooked, that um, yeah, I realisation that I came to so initially when I got involved in the sports sector I did sports when I was an undergrad moved into law and then superficially as a sports fan something else go oh this government is useless it's not, they're not doing this and then you start to speak to people internally and go oh actually they're, one they've got a lot on their plate often and secondly and it's not to say that they couldn't improve and some bodies are much better than others much like international federations as well but the um, the reality is there is a lot of people doing a lot of good stuff and but we just maybe don't hear about it as much and so it's great that these sports are um, talking to each other. I remember Adam Brickell, who is the former head of legal at the BHA, who knows part yeah. of the group. Yeah. Um, and he said it surprised me when I went to see him, and he was saying, "Oh no, no we are still interested because I would say that they've kind of got a, one. They've got uh, more money than most of because it's a sport for betting." Well, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was really interesting to listen to him. I was really surprised because I said to him, "You guys have got a market leading integrity unit." Essentially, or sector leading integrity unit. He went, yeah, but we can still learn from others. We haven't got it quite right. No. And I thought that was that was really interesting. So I think it's great that there is this initiative, and it's fantastic that the, the information's online, um, and you've broken it down into um, sort of key elements, haven't you? So there's, you know, whether or not you're heavily involved there, or if you are, if you are, you can go for further information. There's links to. Um, yeah, so there's links to betting rules and the contact names. I mean, there's sort of a method behind that, which is principally around the fact that um, some of the regulations governing the betting operators oblige them to do things like share information with sports governing bodies. So what we're trying to do through the website is to make it as easy as possible for them to find the right person as quickly as they can, so that either by phone or by email, they can contact that person and say, I've seen something that you might be interested in. Can we have a more of a detailed conversation? Similarly, they are obliged to understand what betting rules are in place in different sports so we've again provided a link to all of those betting rules so that they can easily download them see who's covered what they should and shouldn't be doing and then if there's a breach of sports rules they can again contact the government body so we're hoping that the website as it's currently sort of constituted really will aid that kind of information flow well i i, I think it's great and the reason why i say this is i don't think there's enough of it 
to be honest with you, enough information where, as in, there's a lot of good work sometimes going on behind the scenes and it never really gets into the public forum. And I think, yeah, part of the issue around that point about of accessibility, both to what's going on and is also that you know what it's like. People, the, it's, the, it's the issues, the problems that get reported. So we hear about the cases where someone gets caught, or there's, which is good because you need that. You need the, there to be a kind of recognition that there is a... Uh, there, there, there are consequences for behaviour. But also, of course, the fact that there are systems in place mean there's lots that never get to that point because things get caught early or there is unusual behaviour that means that uh, something is there's an intervention before something actually happens or they close down the books, you know, whatever it is. So, And, of course, that's not a story. That never makes the yeah. news. So there's almost... there's under, And it's only really the peaks. And, of course, the peaks are the, either the bad news or the high-profile stuff. It's like the, rugby, the, the Welsh rugby situation where they're catching all these these young athletes who are doping because they've got a decent testing regime in place and they realise that's a problem at a young age in Welsh rugby and they're really trying to address it and everyone's going, oh my gosh, rugby's, Welsh rugby's got this huge problem. And you think, well, we, actually, now, we would just we probably know more about it now yeah, than we've ever done. And so. they're being more proactive about yeah, it. Yeah. Actually trying to, it's, it's interesting. So how does, this, how does the sports betting group fit with the Sport and Betting Integrity Action Plan, which Lee's kindly um, written a very a very um, thorough and helpful article for us on, which, I, which I'll put a link to the bottom of. Yeah, the I mean, I guess it's, so the Sports Betting Group is the sort of sports side of the equation. Um, I guess in recognising uh, the, the sector, there are obviously other players. So um, the Gambling Commission have brought together a group called the Sports Betting Integrity Forum, or SBIF, as we rather <laughs> colloquially describe it. Uh, and that really brings together, it's a sort of tripartite, really. So they're organised by the Gambling Commission, brings together the law enforcement agencies, the betting operators, and the sports sector. So um, the Sports Betting Group, uh, some, a couple of our members are sit on the SBIF as the kind of representatives of the sports sector. Similarly, some of the big betting operators and a couple of the operator groups sit on from a betting operator perspective and a similar representation from law enforcement. And it's really, it is a physical, you know, people getting around the table, talking to each other, sharing good practice, discussing issues. And one of the things that came out of that was the Sports Betting Integrity Action Plan, which then assigns different actions to different groups. And even, you know, I'm relatively new to this, having been chair of this group for a couple of years, but... The, what people will talk about is how the whole landscape has changed almost unrecognisably and probably since 2010 when the SBG was started. The idea of sitting in a room, talking with the betting operators, having memorandum of understanding, working with them as collectively, you know, just it wasn't happening back then. So even that itself has really and, brought things on. And, and what do you think was the, 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 the catalyst for that? What's, what's been the change of attitude that means that people are being more proactive about this? Well, I think there are a couple of things. I mean, I've, I mentioned one or two of them in the article I wrote, but I, th I think the, the London Olympics and the kind of practical deployment of the Joint Assessment Unit, so that was the kind of... So first. do you want to just explain, what, for those who aren't familiar with it, what the Joint Assessment Unit Yeah, was? so this was an initiative set up around the London Olympics which brought together uh, the Gambling Commission, I think the IOC and a number of other international federations, uh, law enforcement and betting operators and sp sports bodies, uh, and it was essentially kind of, I guess, a road test of a forum style arrangement where we brought together all the key stakeholders around principally around the London Olympics to uh, make sure that it was safeguarded from an integrity point of view so I think that was generally accepted as being a success and around the same time there had been something called the tripartite forum which was essentially a precursor to what is now the, the forum um, so I think it 
out of that process we've seen a recognition that if we all work together we can actually probably make greater strides in this area than we could if we all just sat around and said well it's your responsibility not mine. Um, well it's interesting that because one of the difficulties in, um, in life as well as sport um, is trying to bring together and particularly given that the, the influence that sport has on society as a whole but it's relatively still a relatively small sector or I think it was one of your uh, uh, sport migration lines form of policy of uh, PR sorry uh, guys gave a talk and said you know it's education it's culture it's health that all coming together and why uh, from a government perspective it, yeah. it, it generates some interest but an event like a mega event like the Olympic Games forces people to come together because there is this one objective that everyone can agree that actually we want to we want to make it work and we've got this national pride in it and then from that example then then go oh, actually this can actually but, yeah work. and I think it had it had a wider impact I mean Lee can talk maybe in a little bit about how the work fits into kind of wider European and international stuff but actually we know from um, talking to the gambling commission they you know. Rio were then interested in what had happened in London, so and the IOC have I think now even maybe written it into their kind of you know some of their kind of practice about what they ex- would expect for a future host city to do in terms of how it manages integrity because it was really seen as the blueprint of what it looks okay. like. So there's an opportunity to influence what's happening internationally as well as what's happening domestically. And the Gambling Commission do deserve some praise here because I know that you know Kevin Carpenter, who's our former editor, and there's a lot in this space, um, you know, has been involved in for some time now and said that they've been. Uh, I remember three, four, five years ago, them saying, you know, he was saying how impressed he was that they were being so proactive about it. Um, and I think your point about, I mean, you know, more generally at the Alliance, one of our, I think, our strengths and one of the things I'm certainly very keen on us doing is the convening power that we have, the ability to bring together what can sometimes seem like disparate groups and organisations, but with a shared interest. And in a way. The SBG is an example of that, and the how it fits in the wider integrity landscape is what we're doing is bringing sport collectively and you know marshalling it and getting it to think about how it works most effectively. And because there are times, I mean, it isn't all you know. There are times when we will disagree with the, what the Gambling Commission are doing, or we want the betting operators to be doing more or less. Or, um, but but what we've now got is a forum to have that discussion and debate, and it's a kind of grown-up, respected conversation. It isn't a kind of slanging match, and that's really important. And no doubt as well. This is, it's properly documented, and so you can go back and refer to previous comments. It's part of good governance. Absolutely, right? I yeah. Think, I think it's interesting because if you looked at it from, if you looked at sport as an organiser, if it was just an organisation itself, it's like having the executive go out for an away day essentially to go. You've got the marketing guy, the sales director, etc., coming together and go right. What's our objectives? What are we trying to retrieve? And I think in sport, because so much emphasis, and rightly so, I think to a degree, is anyway, is on is on the participation side. That it's probably really refreshing for these people to come together and, and whilst they, their diaries may be hectic and busy, but actually go, today we're just going to focus on for the afternoon, yeah. we're just going to focus on this and, and we get good attendance at the meetings, you know, people are, you know, inevitably always get a little bit of, um, you know, conflict or whatever with other things going on, but generally people think it's a useful forum and it comes back to your point that Adam made, you know, even when for the most developed sports, they know that they will come and learn something useful, so they're worth investing in it. Yeah, I think, also just going back to the, the initial question, one of the things that sort of help bring people together is uh, recognition of taking some things off the table which are in effect pol- have been polluting the debate. So around integrity, it's always been tied up with commercial discussions and I think there was a recognition early on around the time the precursor to the sports betting integrity forum was being put together was that unless we take that out of the equation, we're never going to make progress on integrity. So I think 
there's been a very clear and continuing focus on we're here to talk about integrity, not the commercial arrangements between betting and sport. And I think actually that's been really healthy because it's allowed us to actually have a productive discussion about how we can improve integrity. I think that's a really actually that's a really good point. It's something that I haven't given much thought to in a practical perspective. But when we you know organise our conferences and events, what I say to all the people speaking is that if there's anything that you can't talk about, please let us know because we're not going to try and catch you out. That's not our objective. What we want to do is focus on what we can do to, to push things forward. And what you end up finding is you can have these really good and detailed discussions about some of the really important issues. So an example being in the first conference we did, we had Sky, BT and Perform. And obviously there was the, uh, the Virgin, you know, Ofcom investigation and so forth taking place therefore they were never going to talk about that because it's a contentious issue so let's not even go there and if you think as well if you say that to the participants involved it they they will feel more relaxed and they can they don't come and i think this is one of the challenges in sport is sometimes i, I, I would well, from an outside perspective i haven't experienced it myself but they can feel i guess the sports governing bodies can feel under attack so it's important that they come to, to, to this forum feeling you know we can voice our opinions and when it's not going to um Descend as, you, as, as Emma said, it's going to be professional. It's not going to descend into uh, pointing fingers or you're not doing this. Or yeah, that's right. I mean, and I suppose you don't want to come to a forum where you feel you can't say something without it being taken off into a direction where you you don't intend it to go. And I say integrity, you can easily kind of fall into that trap of talking about well, you know, who's going to pay for this? Whose responsibility is it really? When actually, it's everyone's responsibility. We just need to work out who's best place to do which bit yeah, and, so and, that, and that's why I think although it might sound like well you so you've got a sports betting group and then you've got a sports betting integrity forum do you really know but actually having the kind of different groups is useful because essentially the sports betting group allows us to kind of then come up with a collective sport view that then can be fed into so you know every meeting we have where there's always a readout from the last meeting of the mm. sports betting integrity forum to know well what was discussed what actions have come our way what do we need to do what's our view on them how do we feed that back mm. in to, so that there is a kind of safe sports space that you can say stuff that you wouldn't maybe say in front of the operators or in front of law enforcement at some point you need that conversation but you also want to have the well how does it work for us conversation first to work out actually what is our response on something and there will be some things when there are um, sport specific responses so it's not possible to come up with a single sport view and that's fine and we just acknowledge those and then individual res- sports will respond themselves but more often than not it, yeah. there's, a, there's a kind of a shared view isn't us. there and so then we move quite nicely on to how this fits into the wider international landscape and it's not to say I don't, I don't want it to appear that, that, that everything is rosy in the UK and we've got everything under control and everyone's happy with how things are progressing. But um, I think the point you make is that there's there's at least an agreement on certain things yeah. and those things are being taken forward, which I do think is a positive, um, a very positive thing. Um, Lee, in particular, I know that you've been to, uh, to various hearings in Europe and um, conferences and seminars and so forth. How, from a policy perspective and... How does the UK's, how does this work fit into the wider fight? Because I don't think you can talk about integrity without talking about it being international because often the people who are involved in it are um, spread all over the world. Even if they are based in the UK, they've still got links elsewhere. That, that's absolutely right, yeah. I mean, I do think there are some very clear links between what we're doing at the domestic level in the UK and the international work, um, the broader international work, but also work at the European Union level. So. If we look at the international context, I think um, the anti-corruption summit that was held uh, this summer uh, 
who survived the Prime Minister, there was a very clear message that came out of that, which was that integrity in sport was really important to us and actually a commitment to develop what uh, I think it was an international sport integrity partnership. So there should be more detail coming out about that in the next six to 12 months. But I think that was a very clear message from the UK that the UK wants to set some of the direction of travel in terms of sports integrity at the international level and working with the International Federation of the IOC. Um, but as you've alluded to, I think um, this corruption in sports across border issues. So again, at the EU level, there's very much an interest in cooperating across member state borders um, to address things like match fixing and betting integrity. So there is something called the European Union Work Plan for Sport, uh, which is essentially a programme of work uh, overseen by the European Commission and one of the focus areas of that is match fixing and there's an expert group on match fixing which uh, the Gambling Commission sits on as a UK representative so there's very clear linkages between what we're doing at the national level and the EU work and international work so um, I think you can see a sort of common thread yeah, between the, the Council of Europe as well, the Convention on Manipulation mm. of in which a lot of Manipulation of Sporting, sporting competition, yeah. sporting competition. <laughs> match fixing for sure <laughs> match fixing, yeah. Yeah. Um, it would have been helpful if they said that but yeah. I guess that needed to be more precise yeah. uh, um, but there's a lot of UK lawyers again who have been involved yeah. in that and other stakeholders yeah. who have helped feed into that yeah, process and, and in a sense that's uh, you know, brought me to my next point that's a really good example where I think we are certainly in the vanguard because we we talk about sports betting integrity form but in the context of the convention it's called the national platform essentially we we are working to be compliant with the convention and I think the approach we've taken through the forum shows that we have all the stakeholders working together and I think arguably you could say we're probably like I say in the lead in terms of being able to say to other jurisdictions this looks this is what we mean by good practice in terms of national platforms um, and so one of the, 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 the just thinking about this from an international perspective Either fortunate or unfortunate, depending on which way you look at it, is that, is that we've had, we've allowed, we've permitted betting, or sports betting, and we've got a licensing system for betting operators in the UK. Now, if there's a mixture internationally, both in Europe and, and elsewhere, where there's, they've got different systems over there, they completely prohibit sports betting, or some mixture all the way to, you know, having a licensing system as such. Um, what challenge do you think that presents? And also then, Given the multi-stakeholder approach here, we're particularly involved in law enforcement. What challenge do you think it happens on, on that level? Because the reason I ask this to you guys in particular is that you're you're pretty much experts in dealing with multi-stakeholder issues, which is a which is a is a real skill in itself. Yeah, I, well, that's a very good question. I, I mean, I'd say from a UK point of view, I think the the, the attractiveness of the setup we have is that we have um, uh, a regulated back by statute and a regulated market with licensed operators so in that sense it gives us complete visibility of what's going on in the betting markets licensed in the UK and not only that but the legislation provides for information on suspicious betting activity to be passed to sports governing bodies and the gambling commission so we have a statutory regulator and legislation that works to ensure an information flow between the parties so I think that's a really strong setup. Which is really important because if you're going to if you are going to take any action against um, or even investigate this say suspicious patterns you you need the data. Yeah 
but I think that's one of the problems that um, Michael Belloff or Santony Hooper and everyone else says on the financial side of things that they can't get hold of when it's not betting related but other integrity issues the governing bodies can't get hold of that data that's uh, right and, and I think most people uh, certainly on the sports betting group would say that kind of information intelligence is the kind of lifeblood of the investigation if you can't access that you really are hamstrung so um, I think that's the kind of beauty of the UK system but as you pointed out that's not the case in other jurisdictions and I think that's where our, going back to the question I guess about um, the links between domestic and international work is where organisations like the Gambling Commission can use their influence with other European regulators and governments to say we need to start considering whether we can actually regulate the markets properly so that we can see what's going on in all of these markets because as we know people who are willing to corrupt competitions or benefit from corrupt betting will go where they can uh, their activity can be hidden so and, and how much of a how much of a problem do you think it is dealing with sorry because I always focus on the legal side to say jurisdictions but countries is <laughs> um, where the, the, there's not a permitted um, or a licensed gambling or gambling's not gambling's prohibited to say it that way gambling's prohibited in that country but then we know there's betting activity in there what what problems does that present domestically because if you're going to someone saying look we think something's happened in your country uh, and they're saying well no because we don't permit betting is that the attitude or is it the case that they recognise that this illegal activity takes place and they will take action or pass information I, I, well it, it could be a case that there's a, it, it's too difficult so to a certain degree there may be a kind of just an acceptance that it goes on but it's too difficult to manage um, I think there are other things where just in different countries there are different cultural um, outlooks and values and beliefs and so the attitudes towards gambling are different which that plays into it as much as the kind of what the law says yeah. I think um, you have those barriers to overcome not just uh, and so do, do you think that um, so I, I I would presume then this is where the role of someone like Interpol would come into play though, in the sense of they are that law enforcement organisation but they understand the c cultural sensitivities and, and they can also no doubt get access, easier to, for them to get access to information and pass that on. Yeah, and I think, I think there are networks like Interpol, Europol and the, the, the networks of regulators where those kinds of discussions can be had and we can start to sort of unpick some of the more difficult issues around... Uh, getting access to information. I think there are other um, other ways which are perhaps softer, but are other networks. So, a number of members of the sports betting group have been involved in the UN Office on Drugs and Crime Guarding and Practicing Investigation. So, there's those kind of informal networks that are also uh, operating and are good ways to try to get the message across that actually we need to kind of think about the way we regulate markets, but also. Uh, sharing good practice on investigative techniques to get access to these kinds of information. Yeah, and I think there's a good example of that. A couple of meetings ago, we hosted a visit from uh, the head of anti-corruption at Cricket Australia, so came to come and talk. So he was essentially on an exchange with his colleague at the ECB, uh, and it was really just an opportunity for him just to come and firstly share some Australian experience about how they, how they manage it, but also he could see how it was being managed. You know, they don't have the equivalent of an SBG in Australia, but actually what what benefit and the sharing of knowledge so again I think it's a good example where we can also because of the networks and the individuals involved we can learn from mm. international practice so that's not a saying we're t we were teaching the Australians what to do but it was about 
actually, what do they do and what do we do? Just having the formal, as you said, the formal and, and informal. Because you know, I would say that you go to an example being again, you go to a seminar or a conference, and sometimes uh, whilst you get direct learning on a particular point that you may have an issue with, it's the conversation over a coffee or drink after after the conference that you find out some really useful yeah, information. Absolutely, yeah. So um, it's it's very much creating that, and so we might touch on it in a little bit. The um, one of the sports recently did a big, big integrity review, and they had a couple of the other representatives from the SBG from other sports who provide a bit of a challenge to that to peer review and help them develop it. So this, 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 this is the BHA yeah. review, yeah. So a really good example of where they can draw on each other's experience. So, okay, let's, let's talk about that then because we've talked about, you know, and I, I am really guilty of this and I, I'm sure everyone else falls foul of this, focusing sometimes too much on the negatives. But I do say that if you could be involved, and I say it all the time now to remind myself, if you're involved in sport at any moment in time, you probably want to be involved in it right now, given the developments and so forth. Yeah. But can you give some of those good examples of? Because I think, you know, when you're looking at, uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, members and readers and listeners from America, and I've chaired panel sessions over there on integrity issues, and obviously you've seen what's going on in New Jersey and the daily fantasy arguments and the whole attitude to the sports betting is being challenged. Um, they're looking for, I would say, uh, some best practices. So can you give some examples of stuff that's worked really well here? Well, I mean, the BHA review is a good example, I think, of uh, what I liked about that was the fact that it was proactive. So it wasn't waiting for a sort of scandal to erupt. It was saying, actually, it's good practice to look at our procedures and our integrity functions and say, actually, can we do some of this stuff better? And if we can, we need to start thinking about it. And it was quite an in-depth review. Yeah. Wasn't it? So, so they basically said, we've got this integrity system. For those who aren't aware, the, the British Horse Racing Authority have memorandums of understanding with betting organisations, they have former police officers, they have an intelligence framework that's used by the, the law enforcement of this country. It is, so it's at the standard that, that, that they could be used for criminal prosecution. They're, they're, it's a really um, thorough, and yeah. I would say that most people in sport would say, look to that as the benchmark. And then they still did this review on top of it because they said, you know, we could probably improve on this and there was some feedback from stakeholders that, yeah, that helped with that. that's right. And one of the things I think they, one of the conclusions they reached was actually to improve. They needed to look at whether they could uh, gain gain the trust of the participants in, in a way that perhaps they hadn't previously. And I think it's those areas where we're starting to see uh, the, the subtle but important improvements. And again, I think, talking about the importance of involving participants the England and Wales Cricket Board is another good example where they have over time refined the way they deliver education so they do face to face sessions every single season with the first class counties they reinforce the messaging but the messaging is done in a way which is not about policing the participants it's actually saying we're here to protect you and protect your your reputation and your careers yeah. and, and I think, I think yeah and the education bit I think is really important there because um what, you know the players federation sit around the table as well so are involved because and it comes back to your point a bit before about when you get examples it, it, it it's if there's more reporting and more examples of uh, reporting of suspicious behavior and does that mean there's more of it or it's just more awareness that people should report it and actually almost the success in the education programs is that more things are coming out before they happen because there's actually there's an awareness that well this shouldn't be happening well there's something to do about it so player education and and official education not just players education generally is a critical part of this well, well, I know there are a few do the same thing as well when I interviewed uh, Ben Rutherford at uh, World Rugby and I was really impressed because they again and I think this is one of the things that, that comes up is trust 
they recognised that they had to have the trust of the players. They went for a long consultation period. They had online training, mandatory online training, plus in-person training. One of the things he said in that discussion was it was so important that the, 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 the players felt that they could actually come to the officials and they knew that one, it was going to be reported in confidence, and you know, which I think is really important because I think uh, there was an issue of a player somewhere where they didn't realise that they were being brought in for it. They just thought they were having an informal chat for example, about a particular thing, they weren't told that they're actually their 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 the discussion was going to be used as a, as part of an evidence and a disciplinary panel. So, in another sport, but um, having that trust of the players, um, and so they bite into the system. So, when if something did happen that was suspicious, they felt one we, they knew where to report to, and they knew what would happen with that information, and they had the confidence to to to, to, to do it and use that system. Yeah, and I think it's also there's been some good examples of where people who have um, broken the rules or uh, you know done things being caught in what they're doing have then as part of their sort of punishment have actually been uh, or you know have, have, I don't know what's the ret- no, retribution yes yes exactly that they then commit to a phrase of education or talking to other players and youngsters about you know why they ended up doing it you know particularly if they have been remorseful about what they've done and use that and that's one of the the players association said one of the most powerful tools because they're hearing it from someone you know players hearing it well I recognise that you know you sort of expect the sport and officialdom to kind of have rules and tell you what to do but actually if you hear it from someone you think well they're just like me and they they, they fell foul of it or it caught them out so maybe I oh, need to think about it because it seems to me that there's definitely a movement at the moment where the athlete participation as opposed to just being there to be talked to and said this we're imposing these rules but there seems to be a, a consensus now that um, well I hope at least there's a consensus but it does seem to be the wave of there's much more appetite which I think and rightly so to get the athletes involved from the off in, in, in the development of the regulation of the sport which seems right but it's, it is a movement away from what we may have seen yeah. in 20, 30 years ago yeah no I think you're right I certainly feel that from the discussions we have at the sports betting group as, as Emma's alluded to we have the um, representatives of the player associations and one of the things that always comes up in the conversation is if if we're involved in that conversation around setting the rules we can get the players and participants to buy into them and they're more enforceable because people have bought into them if you just come along and say you must do this you must not do that you know, you're not going to have the same it's not going to be an effective yeah because it only becomes effective if you get true buying rather yeah. than yeah. rather than um, uh, one, one final point would be on the, on the on the I've got two more two quick questions on the quick fire the trust element would seem that you have to have good governance in order to, to build up that trust. So how important is good governance into the because people look at the integrity sometimes as just a separate issue yeah, almost. Yeah, no, I mean but, yeah, I mean it's absolutely critical to, to governance, I think, because you know, this is like lots of things, you know, there are a lot of things that if a if an organisation wants to be well run and well led, it has to do certain things. And I would say integrity's at the, the front of that. You know, if we often talk about uh, we you know one of the other things we do here at the alliance is manage the voluntary code of good governance, and one of the key you know, the the key one of the key principles there is around the responsibility to maintain the inte- the integrity of your sport, and this very much fits into that. If you don't because if you don't have the rules and the regulations, you don't have people's trust in what you're doing, then people aren't going to want to do it. Commercial uh, sponsors are not going to be want to attracted to it. I mean, it's just you know so absolutely, and I think one of the things that we we see. We, the new UK Sports Governance Code, for example, um, will 
the link between that and this integrity function is, is absolutely critical because this should be on the radar of sports. It should be something, it should be on their risk register, it should be something. Now, for some sports at the moment, it might be, you know, the BHA is an unusual organisation in the sense that the sport is, as Lee alluded to earlier, betting is so much part of it. So, of course, what they need to do and their approach is of a completely different scale to other sports. And that's the thing we hope that the code does. It allows that proportionality. So just because you may not be the BHA, there are aspects of what they do that you can apply to your sport. And one of the key things we're really keen to do from the SBG perspective is to broaden the number of sports interested because we don't want sports to come interested when they have a problem. We want them to see that actually this could be an issue, and particularly if they're a sport that's prevalent in particular parts of the world where there are, we've seen big growth in betting markets, Asia, obvious example they are more susceptible and and to frank corruptors don't really care where they which sport they choose and and if a lot of attention and resource from a sport goes in and they get better at managing it they'll just move on to the next so everyone has always got to be thinking about exactly am am i next in line and we've seen that really pleasingly some uh, new sports join the group recently show interest in engagement they don't yet wouldn't you know they're not by joining they're not admitting well we've, it's not like going to Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> we've got a problem you know it's about saying we want to be ahead of the game on this on that point though the whole point of Alcoholics Anonymous for example is having a support network yeah. which is why it's proven to be yeah. so successful and you can't I think this is one of the I think it's fact, like I think I would encourage more of these type of groups to be set up for the fact that it should, there should be forums where you can go and have those conversations and feel you're part of a support network as opposed to um, being confrontational or, or you know fighting for funding for example yeah. where or, or even much better to do that when you've got time to think about okay what could we do how could, rather than firefighting a problem because we do know that you know if there are there will be we can't avoid that but at that point your focus is absolutely on the case in point and you know you to be able to think have time to think a bit about it and put in some stuff that will mean if a problem arises firstly you're reducing the chance of a problem arising anyway but if it does you've also then you know what you're going to do about it and uh, ben, well, ben rutherford backs up what you said because he said he said i said it's fantastic i was lavishing praise on them um for what they've done he said well it's actually easier for us because we haven't had a big problem so we could do this and so i think that reinforces your point that yeah. if you don't have a problem it's the best time to do something because the media attention is not going to be on you not going to be under the pressure of the spotlight but so like I said just on that I mean that's one thing that's come out recently talking to members of the sports betting group is who have had experience of that media attention is if you don't have something in place you, you really are going to struggle because you know it's pretty unrelenting uh, pressure and it is you do not want to be developing policies in the spotlight you need to mm-hmm. have stuff and it's always one of those things I should imagine for a sports organisation it's always one of the things that could be on the back burner where you think I'm conscious of time just very quickly before, uh, to finish off with um Emma, what do you see is the what's how over the next twelve months, what's the sport record actually going to be involved with? And then Lee, if you can say, you know, from a, a wider perspective, all the stakeholders you're involved with across Europe and others, where you see your role uh, over the next twelve months, what are you going to be focusing on? Emma? So, I mean, I think having revised the code and got the new website, uh, it's absolutely about talking about that, making sure more people know about it, promoting it widely. So, we've, as I say, we've seen some new members join recently. We'd like to do extend that wider. Um, so there is a resource that's useful. You know, we don't do it for other than it being useful for people. And so, it is useful, like, from even from our perspective. Yeah. I find it useful. So so promoting that and and as I say, in light of the new UK sports governance code, uh, drawing clearer links, making sure there are clear links between a kind of an organisation's governance responsibility and how it relates to the integrity function. So I think those are the two key areas for us. Yeah, and I guess from my perspective, it's continuing to 
support the, the policy work behind the sports betting group. So we're expecting potentially some legislative changes to come forward, which will need some consultation. So we'll I'll be involved in helping the, uh, support the group's response to that, but also more broadly getting involved at a European level. So part of my role is looking at European sports policy, so engaging through the next iteration of the European Union work plan for sport, assuming we're still <laughs> part of that process. That's a whole <laughs> discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a different <laughs> podcast. Um, uh, and also just internationally, we have good links with uh, the Department for Culture, Media and Sport. So as these plans progress in terms of the international context, we're seeing where we fit into that. Well, thank you both so much for your time. Um, really appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Personally, I, might, you know, I, I encourage this. I think it's one of the positive examples. I think more should be done in this area of publicly uh, sharing rules and regulations, not only domestically but internationally, because it is a barrier to, to, to good governance. So thank you for your work and thanks for your time. Thanks thank very, you much. very much. Cheers. Sadly, that's all we have time for for this show. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, for all your latest sports law updates and information, you can go to lawandsport.com or follow us on Twitter at lawandsport, go to our YouTube channel, follow us on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also go to our website to sign up for our weekly email. Thanks again for tuning in.